Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Good morning, Dr. Cowden. Hey there. Hi, I'm so thankful to have you on this morning so we can discuss the consequence of unresolved grief. I would like our listening audience to, well, I should say you and I are both committed to helping people understand the incredible resources they have within their grasp to heal Mm -hmm. themselves and people within their communities just by understanding the root cause of disease. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. My, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So if you can gain some knowledge and then apply it, then you can make a difference in your life or the life of somebody you care about. Well, you've dedicated your life to this. And how many years have you been practicing? I started practicing integrative medicine in 1986 after I had gone through many, many, many years of formal training. I went through medical school in the University of Texas, Houston, went through internship and residency at St. Louis University Hospital Group in St. Louis. And then I did two fellowships, one in cardiology, one in intensive care medicine at the St. Louis University Hospital Group. And, and then I practiced that type of allopathic medicine for one year and I was completely miserable because all the time that I was in medical school and going through residency and fellowships, I was actually learning on my own about integrative medicine and applying it to my health and the health of my family and friends. And in seeing how ineffective allopathic medicine was in practice and seeing how effective integrative medicine was, I said, I can't continue doing this in good conscience. I know that there's something better for my patients. And so that's when I took a huge pay cut and became an integrative medicine practitioner in 1986. Well, I'll tell you, studying under you and being trained under you And the things you've opened my mind and my heart to has been transformative, not just in my life and in my work, but in the lives of those I serve. So thank you so much. I invited you this morning to briefly discuss and begin the conversation on the consequence of confusion, chaos, and disease that manifests in our lives. And when we dismiss it, disregard it, and when we are not sensitive to it, the consequence it has in our bodies, in our health. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a lot to say about that. Yeah. A a lot of physical disease develops as a result of what goes on in our mind, will, and emotions, you know, our soul. And, and, you know, some disease uh, results out of what goes on in our spirit. You know, so there's spiritual diseases from, uh, you know, d- demonic oppression and other things. Uh, you know, a lot of people recognize that anger is an emotion, but they don't really think about the fact that the unforgiveness that's connected to the anger is a spiritual issue. Yeah. And you can either have outwardly directed anger, you know, toward other people, or you can have inwardly directed anger toward yourself, which which is sometimes also called guilt, and guilt usually leads to sadness and grief. Yeah. Well, we know that the root of anger is unresolved conflict often associated with pain 
and grief. Yeah. Yeah. And it fractures us in many ways. It fractures our very constitution. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, especially in the context of disease states? I know you've been working specifically with ALS and you have a conference coming up, but I wondered if you could talk to us for the rest of the time about the connection between anger, pain, grief, fractures, and how it manifests in disease states. Well, yeah, very often we experience something in our early years, you know, in our childhood years especially, that's uh, very emotionally traumatic. Maybe it invokes primarily anger in us. Maybe it invokes primarily fear in us. Maybe primarily profound grief. But, uh, But, you know, one of those really strong emotions can be so strong that our our childlike mind says, oh my goodness, if I continue to try to process and deal with this uh, with my entire being, it will destroy me. And so at a subconscious level, that individual makes a decision that they have to fracture their personality in order to be able to deal with those emotionally traumatic memories and thoughts and feelings and still survive. And so you know, if that happens many, 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 many times, you know, it used to be called multiple personality disorder, and it was called, uh, I think, dissociative disorder. But a large percentage of people that are chronically ill have at least one fracture in their personality, at least one, sometimes two or three. And, you know, that part of the personality that's fractured can be doing things in exactly the opposite way that their primary personality knows that they should be doing things and be, be basically sabotaging everything that they're trying to do at a conscious level with their primary personality. So, you know, they eat the wrong things or they continue to drink alcohol or they, you know, do other things that are destructive because that fractured part of the personality is so wounded. They're looking for ways to minimize the, the pain and suffering of uh, those events from the from the childhood, the, the the fear or the anger or the grief or the other emotions, so they're continually looking for a way to to deal with that, and and they uh, you know do that on, unfortunately oftentimes with physical things like the wrong foods or alcohol or drugs, and oftentimes the fracture or the origin of those fractures is from things that they can't even identify. Sometimes, most of the times they can, but often I work with people who can't identify a fracture. They think they've had this idealistic life until we start digging into family patterns and frankly, secrets, unresolved conflicts from their parents and ancestors and whatnot. And it's Mm -hmm. an amazing process to Mm -hmm. work through. It's actually, it's healing. It's a healing process. And you and I talk about that and help people through that quite a bit. Yeah. Well, how many things can you, or most of the people listening to you right now, remember before their fifth birthday? Most people say, oh, maybe only a handful of things can I remember before my fifth birthday. Well, it's not that nothing was happening before the fifth birthday. It's just that those things were not able to easily be processed and stored or processed and released. And so they just got buried somewhere. In the subconscious mind is where they get buried. And so those, those events 
are no less painful in the subconscious mind than they are in the conscious mind. It's just that you're not consciously aware of those painful things, but they still uh, have a huge role in the way that you act and think and speak. Let's get specific. ALS, dementia, Parkinson's, yeah, and what other cancer, certainly cancer. Yeah. The root cause of these diseases have origins in some of the grief, the pain, the unresolved conflicts. And since we're yeah. focusing on grief this month, I thought it would be valuable to have you comment on that. Yeah, well, you know, if, if a person experiences something that's, that's really likely to, to trigger a huge feeling of grief in their, in their being, they go through stages. They don't just go through one period of, of thinking and feeling, but they go through a series of, of feelings. And, you know, the very first thing that usually happens in most people uh, that go through a grieving event is, is shock and disbelief mm-hmm. and, and, and even denial about the fact, oh, how, how in the world could that have happened? How in the world could that person that I cared about now be dead? What, whatever the event was, they, they, they get Or how shocked. could I have done that? How could I have thought that? What was I thinking? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But Dr. Hummer, who, who developed German New Medicine, which became Recall Healing that we use today in your practice and others, basically developed testicular cancer at 50 year, something years of age, and his wife at the same time developed breast cancer, also at 50 something years of age, uh, very soon after their only son died from a gunshot wound inflicted by an Italian aristocracy who never came to justice. And so Dr. Hummer figured out that they both had cancer because uh, of, the, of the shock uh, and disbelief uh, of, that, of that event and not knowing how to deal with it on a, a biological level as well as a psychological level. And so he resolved all the, all the feelings and thoughts and beliefs and so on that were attached to the loss of his son. And his testicular cancer went away without surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy. Then his wife, he, he helped his wife resolve the same emotions and beliefs that were attached to the loss of their son. And her cancer, breast cancer, went away without surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy. And then, and then Dr. Hummer went about treat, effectively treating 6,500 additional patients with cancer, stage three and stage four mostly, who also had resolution of their cancers without surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy. So he was not very popular with the hospital after that because he was really drastically cutting into the revenues of the hospital because they weren't getting the surgery, the radiation, the chemotherapy, and all that other stuff. Well, in the process of doing all that, Dr. Hummer figured out that not just cancer, but almost every chronic disease arises out of an emotionally traumatic event. And it's not that that's the only cause of that disease. You know, people are going through life, accumulating physical toxins, accumulating microbes, accumulating uh, other stuff. But then finally, very often, the trigger that brings on the disease is an emotional event. So that's what he figured out. And so he figured out that amyotropic lateral sclerosis, for example, is, is brought on you know, by, by a per- perceived intellectual devaluation, as many other chronic neurodegenerative diseases are. Feeling powerless, okay? Yeah, if a person is in a situation where they feel powerless, then they're, they're more likely to develop uh, ALS or MS, multiple sclerosis. 
but you know if they feel if they just feel to be made stupid then oftentimes that has to do that that, that results in a dementia of some type okay mm-hmm. but so so it depends on you know what the events are what's referred to as the milieu the ground matrix the the, the toxin load and the cells and the space between the cells, then if you had a big enough load, then disease develops. An analogy that you can make is that you have, if you have a, uh, a, a revolver and you have initially no bullets in the chamber and you pull the trigger, nothing happens, right? But if you if you put one, one bullet in there and spin it, you got a one in six chance that the gun's gonna go off. But if you get five bullets, in there, which is the total load of toxins that you've accumulated from the environment over the, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life, then the chance of it going off is really great when you pull the trigger the next time. And that trigger again is the, is the emotion. And environmental toxic toxin load can happen from having spinal meningitis when you were a baby from your mother having breast cancer when you were in the womb perhaps yeah. a lot of emotional stress that mom yeah. is carrying is developmentally significant for the child. So there's yeah. a lot of ways to accumulate toxin loads, oh, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when we spend nine months in, in mom's womb, we're picking up her emotions every day for nine months and her emotions usually relate to her childhood and the childhood of her parents and the in the childhood of, of her grandparents and so we're picking up all of that stuff for nine months while we're in her womb and you know the 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 fetal brain does not have the ability to process and release that's something that you develop in you know maybe five six seven eight years of age so up until that age you know you're just you're just trapping the toxins emotional toxins and storing them somewhere and again the the emotional toxins are trapped in very specific locations. So if the if the emotion that mom's feeling while you're in the womb is anger, then that's going to cause physical toxins to be trapped in the fetuses, liver, gallbladder, and bile ducts. If the emotion that mom's feeling while you're in the womb is fear, then that's going to be trapped in the kidneys, urinary bladder, uterus, ovaries, fallopian tubes, uter- uh, testes, prostate, and men, and and so on. So different different emotions get trapped in different places. Now. When you trap an emotion uh, in a specific place, that creates like a, a magnetic effect from my experience, and it allows the physical toxins that everybody's getting exposed to from air, water, and, and food to go into that place. So if it was anger, then the t- physical toxins go into the liver and the gallbladder and the bile duct. So good. That's why, whether I'm dealing with a 14-year-old client or cancer patient or a 90-year-old client or patient, I'm exceptionally interested in the early developmental years, what was going on with mom, what was going on with dad, both one year before conception and that year that they were in the womb. And of course, the first developmental year, those become incredibly important in understanding anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. skin disease, All kinds of different things that the child or, frankly, regardless of age, the person's dealing with. These are important building blocks of information. They're markers that serve me well in helping people heal. 
Yeah. Can you address those for a minute? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the fact that anything that happens in that first year prior to conception, you know, before the fetus is ever developing in the womb, that those emotions of the parents affect the child that develops in the womb subsequently. And the way to think about that is that most emotions that an adult experiences, they can process and finally release within a year. Okay. Now, if there's a few exceptions, obviously, maybe, maybe the, the, the woman that's going to be carrying that child eventually gets gangbang raped or something really, really, really emotionally traumatic. And, you know, so, you know, that could have happened 10 years, 10 years before the conception and still be affecting the child. We that's know right. that the grandchildren of people that were in the Holocaust are affected with fear, mm-hmm. even though the child was not in the Holocaust and the parent was not in the Holocaust, but the grandparent was in the Holocaust. Okay. That's right. So those are really strong emotions that get passed forward to the child of the person that's in the, in the Holocaust and then to the grandchild of the person that's in the Holocaust. There is so much here and so much that I want to continue to unwrap with you for the sake of those listening. There's a deep sadness that we can be carrying in our soul, in our mind, in our heart, in our will, in our conscience, deep sadness, and it manifests physically. I always talk about internal and external in grief. Mm -hmm. So this subject is worthy of our attention and our continued discussion. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much healing that can take place in community without going bankrupt and paying therapists. You and I have put together significant curriculum around these themes. And I'm going to talk about those for a little bit, if you don't mind, because this is so rich and this information is so important. I want our listening audience for a minute to understand that we're not just going to leave you here with this information. We have modules online. We have the day of rest and we have module one and then module two and module three. Module one is basically information and an overview. Module two is education and module three is application. How can you, first of all, understand these things in the context of rest, learn about them and then apply them. And so I do want to pause here for a second and tell our listening audience that we're not just dumping this information on you. We've broken down this in modules, instructional material that can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to work through the stuff that they themselves experienced in their life, no matter what that was. And, And when I say their life, I'm talking about, you know, from the moment of their conception up to the present time. You know, you mentioned going to a psychologist. Uh, Psychologists do serve a purpose, but in my opinion, the psychologists are working at a very superficial level. The analogy that I make is that you, through Evox and you know some of the other tools that you use, are are working on the basement and the sub-basement, figuratively, of a multi-story building. And the psychologists are usually working up on the 20th or 30th or 40th or 50th floor where that patient is right now. But, you know, if you don't fix the foundation of the building, the building is going to still be swaying and has a great chance of, of falling down. Um, but if you can go back and work on the basement, the sub-basement, where the intrauterine and pre-uterine 
emotions came from, then you have a great, much greater chance of, uh, of healing that patient uh, permanently. Well, as you well know, I don't believe in diagnosing, treating, or curing. I believe in discipleship and counseling and an education um, yeah. approach to this. I believe in embarking on a pilgrimage with our clients and our patients. When I was at the clinic, it was very much this collaborative relationship where they really inform, I help facilitate them informing themselves in order of their own stories that they're carrying, the stories they don't know, but the stories, the narratives that they, they tell themselves and helping them bring it in, into alignment with reality. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to watch people blossom. Jane Markowski is a ex- perfect example of this. Um, best known as Nightbird. And she did actually one of our first four podcasts. I really realized how important it was. And actually Jane even said, it's so important. People need to understand how important just understanding how you love is in the healing process. And so Mm -hmm. we recorded our first few podcasts with her, but it, it was a fascinating pilgrimage to watch her beautiful soul, her life, her heart, her talent, frankly, and her purpose just blossom right Mm -hmm. before my eyes, in Mm -hmm. spite of the fact that she was battling cancer and ended up in a period of two or three months, reconciling some enormous conflicts she had within herself Mm -hmm. and really experiencing and living out her dream. Mm -hmm. But she faced her, she she experienced her dreams because she faced her fears and her conflicts. And it was an amazing thing to see what happened in the life of this young woman in three months who became a global sensation. Yeah. Yeah. She she fulfilled one of the purposes that she was sent here to accomplish. And, you know, that was to help people to understand that love is is one of the most important things that any of us can learn how to experience and to pass along. Yeah. To learn how to love ourselves so we can love each other well. Love right. God, love ourselves, and so we can love each other, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a fascinating conversation. I'd like to record another segment. Yeah. I have a few things I wanted to discuss with you specifically about ALS and a conference that you have coming up. Yeah, that's uh, September 28th uh, through October 1st for the public and if, if practitioners decide to come they should stick over stay over for october 2nd because we're going to have a, a think tank on october 2nd but september 28th through uh, october 1st in salt lake city utah is going to be a an amazing event uh, we'll have uh, probably over a dozen patients that used to have als that don't uh, talking to the participants. And we're going to have a a variety of uh, other practitioners talking about things that they found that are helpful in uh, slowing the progress of ALS or or stopping it or uh, even reversing it. It's a vile disease, isn't it? Yeah. The things that they'll learn there though, will will help them to, you know, not just know what to do about ALS, but, but about any kind of neurodegenerative disease process. You know, whether that's multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, uh, dementias of different types, et cetera. I would like to thank you so much for sharing this information with our listening audience. Thank you, Dr. Cowden. All right. Thank you.
Evox Technology by Zyto is a time and research tested perception reframing biofeedback technology where helpful frequencies target and unblock buildup of toxic stress and excess energies in the body. Virginia frequently uses this technology during sessions with her clients. These clients have reported positive impacts on health, interpersonal relationships, personal performance, increased relaxation, and decreased stress. If you use the promo code PODCAST to receive a 10% discount for our foundational on-demand day of rest, you will receive a discount for the 40 days of rest curriculum. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.